A few weeks ago, uh, we started a new series called Living Faithfully in a Shifting Culture, looking specifically at the accounts of Elijah in the book of 1 and 2 Kings. And so far, we have seen how God has provided for Elijah, how he has given Elijah the ability to speak to the king of Israel. And today, we're going to be looking at how Elijah is given the opportunity not only to speak truth to the king of Israel, but to the people of Israel as well. And he shows the power of God and calls the king and the people to obedience. Now, as been said before, this is one of the most famous account parts of Elijah's account, and actually one of the most famous accounts in all of the Old Testament, where the Lord gives a miracle and shows his power and his grace against the gods of man's creation. Last week we read the beginning parts of 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah and Obadiah, they've been talking to King Ahab. And we'll be picking up in verse 17, as Elijah and Ahab are speaking before this contest begins. Now, I want to acknowledge something before we read our scripture today. We're going to be doing a lot of reading. And, but I think it's really important for us, extremely important for us, to read scripture as a congregation as a whole, even though it may take a while. For we get to see the context of what God is showing us about himself and how we are to live as servants of him. So let us read together 1 Kings 18, 17 through 46. This is the word of the Lord. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, It is you, you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left as the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. But put the fire to it and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, 
cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried out, they cried out aloud themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. As his midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering, the oblation. And there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have your hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the camp of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And they said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew back with clouds and white. rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. 
and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, please open our hearts and minds to your holy word by your Holy Spirit that we may understand your word, to know you more, and to live life according to your word, to live life as servants who worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a freshman in high school, I had an English teacher who changed my life. It was not what he was teaching about the English language, nor was it how he was teaching us to write papers or to be to better students. Rather, this man who changed my life, he did so because of his courage to speak the gospel, his courage to speak the truth. Now, this teacher, just so that you guys can have this picture of who he is, he was a former professional wrestler, so a very large and a big man. Yet, after his time in the ring, he retired to help mold young minds. Now, he was a teacher in a public school, and he was a devout follower of God, a man who would always find a way to share the gospel in small ways, without being overt, because he taught in a public school. Yet, one day, he was in the classroom setting, and he came up with a discussion. And finally, during the middle of this discussion, he just stopped. And he couldn't hold back. This usually reserved man stopped the whole lesson right then and there. And in full knowledge of the consequences of doing so, he shared one of the most convicting gospel presentations I have ever heard to this day. Ending with a similar question that Elijah gave in this passage. All about who we are to serve, who we are to worship, because we have to serve someone. Now, this man, he... He felt called to dismantle the lies of the evil one, to share the gospel of grace to the students who needed to hear it. And as soon as he finished, everyone was silent. And the class bell rang immediately. By the end of the day, this teacher was no longer a teacher in the public school system. He had been fired. And he must have known what was going to be the consequences of his action. Yet he knew it was his calling to confront sin with the power of the gospel and to share it with the children who needed to hear it right then and right there. Whether or not any of those children have become followers of God, I don't know. But what he did has had a profound impact on my life from that day forward. He acted like Elijah calling people to repentance, knowing that it would change his life forever, asking them the ultimate question of who are you going to worship, serve, and living as an example of what it means to be a follower of God, which is all what our passage is about today. So let's look at this ultimate question, which Elijah poses in verses 20 to 21. It says this, so have sent all the people of Israel, or sent to all the people of Israel, and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, how long are you going to limp between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Now in front of all the people, in front of the king, and in front of Israel, Elijah asked them, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to be followers of? Who are you going to worship? 
by giving your time and your energy? Who is going to be of the greatest importance in your life? For we see again and again in Scripture, no one can serve two masters. Or in the words of Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Ever since the Israelites had entered into the promised land and did not rout out all the inhabitants of the people and the gods that they worshipped in the land prior, the Israelites had a problem. And this problem continued to chip away at Israel's loyalty to the Lord in favor of other gods. And during this time of the judges, Israel was at another low. Or back in the time of the, uh, and since the time of the judges, Israel had been at another low. The Israelites and their king, they had stopped worshiping God and intentionally started worshiping the gods of the land. Even though the Lord had just told them to destroy all of the altars back in the book of Joshua. They were worshiping gods like Asherah, who provided water and fertility, but was worshiped by self-mutilation and prostitution. Or Dagon, who was worshipped by giving fruits and grains of the harvest. Or Molech, who provided victory in war, but was worshipped with child sacrifice. And was worshipped by prostitution. Similarly, Baal, which we read about today, he was worshipped by various rites and rituals, usually dealing with prostitution, yet he provided vegetation and fertility to the land and the people. Baal and all of these gods were pantheistic in nature. And we can see that these people desired to worship them together. It was common thought throughout the land that no one God could provide for all of the needs of the people. So they had to split them up among others. In other words, they were flexible about who they could worship and when they could worship them. And in this, we see how, people, how Israel were acting and how they were wrong. They were, they were limping back and forth between Asherah, Baal, and the Lord, flip-flopping back and forth, never really staying put, never really putting their foot in the ground and standing firm. They were like a flighty person, or one of the best words in the English language, they were being a flibberty gibbet, basically a person who flops back and forth in a sing-song manner, without ever truly deciding who is God, who is the real Lord. The Israelites, they were living in this manner even though they knew that the Lord was important. For they knew that He was their covenant God. That His commandments were absolute. Yet He was not seen as popular. And it was not seen even as okay or encouraged to worship more than one God. For like in the Apostle Paul's day at the Pantheon, they didn't want to miss a God who could provide for them in a certain way. Now, looking back at the gods of, that Israel was worshiping, you know, the worship ones that they were worshiping and the ones that the land, people in the land were worshiping, we should be appalled by this. Yeah, and we see that how they were worshiping appalls us. Yet, we may wonder how Israel got to be in the situation, how to stray so far from the Lord, the one who provides for them, the one who cares for them, the one who loves them. We don't need to look too far to see why they did that. The modern-day gods or modern-day vernacular idols, they have crept into our lives as well. They may not have the same worship practices as the gods back in the, pa in the passage we just heard about, but they require the same type of loyalty. 
the same type of worship. These gods are idols of money, power, fame, entertainment, success, achievement, self-indulgence, or family. These are ones that have come into our lives and tried to destroy our relationship with the Lord, the one true God. Now, unlike these ancient gods, instead of being worshipped by having altars and sacrifices with burnt offerings, we are giving our time, we are giving our money, we are giving our families, our lives to these things so that we may have pleasure, happiness, status, comfort. All of these, all of these things, these modern-day idols, they're not bad in amongst themselves, but when we start to worship them, when we start to place them in a higher priority than worshiping the Lord, we have decided to worship them alongside the Lord instead of worshiping God alone. We have become like the Israelites in this passage, worshiping God amongst other gods instead of worshiping Him alone. As we see in, um, in the first commandment, which God, um, which God gave us in the Ten Commandments, which we read this morning um, uh, as we were looking through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first commandment says this, you shall have no other gods before me, meaning that we are to worship no one else but God alone. And in addition to this, we can also see the positive side of this command, that we must worship God no matter what. And because the Israelites... We, we have such short memories. The verse prior to the Ten Commandments even reminds us of why um, we must worship God alone. And it says this, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The reason why we are worship, to worship the Lord is threefold, and we see it here. He is our God. He speaks to us, and He provides for us. He speaks to us through His Word. He loves us by providing us and giving us commands. Yet sometimes we want more proof. We want proof like Gideon with the fleece or like Thomas in the New Testament asking to see the holes in Jesus' hands. Now, God doesn't always give us large, obvious acts. But in our passage this morning, he, it illustrates one of the most well-known acts of God's power to remind His people of who he is and what he will do. In verses 19 through 38, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they've set up this contest to show the people whose God is real and whose God is fake. Now, amazingly, King Ahab agrees to this contest, and he summons 850 priests between Baal and Asherah and all of the people of Israel so that they can witness this contest in person. Now, Elijah, as a prophet of the Lord, he knows that the Lord is real. And he knows that he is the one true God. Yet he needs to show the people that not only the Lord is real, but that the Lord is the only God to be worshipped. The Lord, the one true God, and that there is no one else like him. This contest, therefore, is it's designed to show all about um, all these other ideas about polytheistic worship and not worshiping the Lord instead of, instead, or, and only worshiping the Lord. So we see in verses 20, 23 through 29 that Elijah asks all of these prophets of Baal and presumably all the prophets of Asherah um, to take a bull and to prepare it for a burnt offering. Now, burnt offerings, they were common at this time. And because they had altars that they would sacrifice these animals on, usually these altars were kept in good condition. 
because they needed to worship them. They needed to worship them often. And so they came before this, this altar with a bowl prepared for sacrifice with dry wood and everything else they needed except for the fire, the fire that was to make the offering burnt. Elijah makes one request to prove whose God is real, that whoever is able to ask their God to send down fire, that that God would be the one who would be worshipped. Now this is important for some context. Baal was worshipped not only because he was the God of fertility and rain, but because he was the God of rain, lightning, and thunder. Meaning that Elijah was just asking the prophets of Baal to do something that by all rights, Baal should have been able to do. Something that he was known for. The reason he was worshipped. Yet we see in verse 26 that the prophets of Baal, they, they try to call upon him to show his power, um, to speak to them all morning and all afternoon. Yet it's to no avail. Verse 26 even puts more to a point to it by saying this, there was no voice and no one answered. Showing that not only did Baal not answer, but that he didn't even exist. After calling out to Baal didn't work, these prophets, they tried to step up their game. They decided they were going to be more devout in their worship. So they started cutting themselves, mutilating themselves to get Baal's attention to show them how faithful they were to worshiping him. And Elijah uses what he knows about Baal as an insult, that because Baal dies every year and is locked away only to rise again, Elijah taunts him by saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing himself or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. By the way he's using his words, you can see that he's mocking them. He's mocking them by saying, your God cannot hear you. He must be trapped, or maybe he's even dead, or really insinuating over and over again that he never actually existed. Egging them on, Elijah shows Baal's limited power by saying that he is just sleeping or using the restroom. Well, now this may be strange to our ears, our modern ears, the point he is making is clear. Baal is not real. And that you can tell by his lack of ability to do, well, anything. That these prophets are using their swords and lances to say, okay, then if he's, if he's not going to answer, I need to show how great I am or how, how much I care about him. To the point they may even probably started to bleed out. They're dancing around for half a day, going back and forth, limping along in a futile effort to call upon a non-existent God. And by the verse 29, we see that no one was even paying attention at the last point to what the prophets were doing. This is very much like when we try to share the gospel with someone. Until their hearts are ready to hear the gospel and that the Holy Spirit has changed their heart, a person will reject what, they're tr what you're trying to present to them, the good news of the gospel. Even though they're sh you're sharing the greatest gift in the world that can be shared, the forgiveness of sin, that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and was raised to life again to the glory of God the Father, so that anyone who believes in him will be saved from their sin. This offer of grace will get rejected. Until the Lord changes the heart of a person, they will not see the gospel as being valid. And this is exactly what God has done. No one was listening. 
to what, to what the prophets of Baal was doing anymore. No one was paying attention. Their worldview had been shattered. Who would they worship if not Baal? The God of their king and their queen. And it's at this moment that Elijah shows them without any question that the Lord's not only real, but that he is the most powerful God. He is the one true God. And he does this by making the task that he set before the prophets of Baal even harder. He takes, he takes the broken down altar and fixes it, um, minding it with, with, um, with the 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes, reminding them of how God provided for their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he pours water all over the altar. And so much, so, so much water that it's going around in a moat around it. And the bull itself that they're, tried, that they're, that they're going to, um, to uh, burn, it's even soaked as well. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, when you're trying to start a fire, this is not what you're trying, that's, this is not what you should do. You're not going to go take all your sticks and all that and dunk them in water. You're not going to take what you're going to cook and submerge it in water. Yet Elijah does this so that there is no possible question about the Lord and his abilities. And then praying to the Lord God, he calls his people back to him. God sends down lightning from heaven, and it consumes everything, everything. God sends an all-consuming fire to show his people that he is greater than Baal. He is greater than all, and he is the one true God. By this mighty act of power, the people confess that the Lord is God, and they turn their hearts to him. They have seen that God is the only answer to the ultimate question. Who are you to worship? And their cry emulates um, from Joshua, Joshua 24 through 15, which says this, Choose this day from whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. And then Joshua continues with boldness saying this, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the answer today is as the same as it was then. God is the one. He is the only one to worship because he is real and because he loves us. With all the other gods and idols that, we, that are worshipped today like money, fame, power, and all those others, all they do is just take, 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 and take. They take our time, they take our resources, and they only give us back temporary pleasure. Yet this is not what the Lord does. The Lord acts. The Lord provides for us by giving us what we need to serve Him. And most of all, He provides us with Jesus as the forgiveness of our sin. The Lord not only does this to show us His power, He also shows us His love. He loves us by letting us truly know Him so that we can get to know who God really is by spending time with Him in His Word. Even in just this passage uh, this morning, we get to see more of who God is. We can see His attributes plain as day. For instance, in verse 19 and 20, we see that unlike Baal, the Lord is not confined to one place. He is omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He cannot be trapped. Psalm 121 even says this, God never sleeps. 
Unlike Baal who dies and is imprisoned every year and unable to free himself, God is omnipresent and all-powerful. Verses 22 through 25, we further see something else. We see that the Lord does not need a whole bunch of followers to show his power. The Lord's might, it's not, um, it's, the Lord's might is not in the number of his followers, but comes from himself alone. God does not need to be popular to be real. Rather, his realness and his power make him unpopular in our culture. Something that we're going to be looking at more later. One of the most important characteristics about the Lord is his all-powerfulness. Yet we rarely see his full power on display as we do in verses 26 through 29 and later in 32 through 38. This is because while God can show his power to be an all-consuming fire, he does not need to show his full power and his full might all the time, even though we may desire for him to do so. God only acts in accordance with his will, doing things that bring him glory. For God's visible activity, it's not frantic, but perfectly sovereign. The last characteristic of the Lord that is shown in this passage, and the most important, is that the Lord is both righteous and full of grace. And we see this in verses 30 through 40. God's first commandment, was to worship him and, to, and him alone. Yet this is not what the Israelites did. In fact, they did the opposite. Now we know that God requires perfect submission to his commands, yet we see that God accepts this sacrifice of this bull for the sins of the people. He is gracious. And here we see a foreshadowing of how gracious he is, pointing us to how he sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. So how, how do we live as a follower? How do we live as a worshiper of God in this shifting culture? The actions of Elijah show us four important actions of a follower of God. First, that a follower of God is committed to prayer. We see this in verses 41 through 46. That while everything is going on, um, everything that's going on in this passage Elijah is praying in, in these verses. Now, it doesn't look like a traditional prayer, and we don't actually see the word prayer, but we can tell it by Elijah's body language. The posture that he has is one of intense and concentrated prayer. Verse 42 shows us that this bold Baal basher, he knows that this was a demonstration of the Lord's power and the Lord's might, and it was not by Elijah's own doing but rather it was by the Lord alone. Elijah, therefore, in this passage, he humbles himself physically. He is on the ground. He's not just humbling himself spiritually. He humbles himself in prayer to seek the Lord's direction. Now, the last couple weeks, we have seen some of the actions of Elijah, actions that he's taken, specifically when he's called upon the Lord in his helplessness. And now we may think, of Elijah as some super prophet. But when we look at the entirety of his life, Elijah at his core is just a man, a man who followed God, a man who did great things for God, but still just a man, a sinner in need of God's grace. Yet he is a person we can be emulating. For Elijah, he dedicated himself to prayer. 
in a very hostile and shifting culture. Elijah, he was constantly confessing his inadequacy to God, his failings to him, all while acknowledging God's absolute sovereignty. Similarly to the life of the great reformer Martin Luther, who would do this in his prayers all day long. Praying like this is what followers of God are called to do as well. To live lives in humility. Praying to God, confessing to Him our pride. Confessing to Him our anger, our fear, our inadequacy. Trusting in the Lord God to work in and through us for His glory, despite our failings. In addition to this, a follower of God living in a shifting culture must be bold in their witness of God's mercy, which we see in verses 36 through 40, meaning that followers of God must be in the culture, in the public square, living as a known Christian, not hiding their faith, but wearing it on their shirt sleeve. Our faith it must not be something that we hide away in our homes, but something that we are known for. Something that someone can point out and say, that person is a Christian. In our jobs, in our relationships, with our family and with our neighbors. We cannot, no, we must not be kept silent. No matter the consequence. Which is what we saw with Elijah. And he didn't know what was going to happen to himself right after this contest. Right after challenging Ahab so publicly after the contest was over and before the contest began. What would happen with his life? He trusted God. He trusted the Lord to guide his path. To trust in the Lord's sovereignty. No matter the consequence to ourselves, we must trust the Lord in his sovereignty. For the acts of God's love, the acts of God's power, the acts of God's grace, they are too important to be kept to ourselves. They must be shared. We must share the gospel of grace every time he calls us to do so. In the same vein, as followers of God, we must not only proclaim the good news of the gospel, we must also challenge the evil in our culture by seeking to renew our culture for the kingdom. Because this is what Elijah was doing. He challenged the culture that he was in place. He challenged the evilness that was present in their everyday lives. And he pointed it out to them. And he did so in a public manner. Everyone in Israel, from the king down to the everyday person, they knew what Elijah was doing. Because he challenged evil in the name of the Lord. In front of all the people. If you were a follower of God, this is what we are to do as well. We are to challenge and confront the evil that is around us. How are you shining in the evil that is around you that may be swept under the carpet or evil that is predominantly seen in our daily lives? And at the same time, how are you showing the need for repentance of sin? For these things, they must go hand in hand, sharing the grace of God, showing um, the evil that is around us and need for repentance. For the Lord is not only the God of righteousness, He is also the God of grace. By which He sent Jesus to pay for sin and free His people from spending an eternity in hell. Thirdly, a follower of God living in a shifting culture like we are today trusts God to provide. 
In the previous accounts of Elijah in chapter 17 and in the early parts of 18, Elijah, he trusted that God would provide for him again and again and again. Not only for himself, but for the people. The people who had turned their back on the Lord. And in these last few verses, we see Elijah had confronted the evil in the public square, and he trusts that God will fulfill this promise that he made back in verse 1. We read this last week, but I'm going to read, so, read it again. It says this, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And after this whole contest, after showing that the Lord God is real, that Baal is fake, this is exactly what the Lord does. He fills his promise after he just sent down fire. Now he sends down rain. Whatever promises we see in Scripture, God will fulfill. He has always fulfilled them, and he always will fulfill them. This is part of who he is, which means that God's promise to provide for what we need to bring him glory is something that you can always count on. Now, this doesn't mean that God will always provide for us what we want but he will provide what we need to serve him and to fulfill his will. If Even if it seems like there's no way, no possible way for it to happen, this is why trusting in God is such an important part of being a follower of God. For it means letting go of our fears and instead relying on God for everything. Lastly, a follower of God living in this shifting culture, is to be a committed follower of God. In verse 46, Elijah is running from this confrontation with Ahab. He does not dilly-dally. He does not limp along like the people were doing. He did not, he, instead he decided to follow God by running. He does not dance around. He's not flibberty-jipping around. Instead, he runs with passion, with direction, to flee from Ahab and Jezebel. As followers of God, we must have this same determination, this same focus, not just playing around with our faith, not just following God because it was the faith of our fathers, but committing to follow God in his word despite all of the culture around us however it may look to others. To follow God, to run the race which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now this morning, we have seen that the answer to the ultimate question of who we are to worship and who we are to serve is God alone. We have also seen that God calls His people back to Him and that He will do whatever He wills to bring us back to Him. God may mighty acts of power that all see, or God may show mighty acts of power that just a few see. No matter what, God does not give up on his people. He is the God of love. He is the God of righteousness, and he is the God of grace. And God's word shows us how we are to live lives to serve him and him alone. For he is our God, and there is no one our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, there is no one like you. And Father, you have shown us why we must worship you. Father, please work in us so that we desire to follow you. Please 
um, help us to live like Ezekiel, be, or Ezekiel uh, live like Elijah, living a life of boldness, declaring your grace, your love. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. Please help us to do this, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.